a lot more people are doing direct messaging. A lot more people are trying to find that team member. A lot of teams are now saying, you know what, we don't have the bandwidth to respond to these candidates, these applicants. There are companies that are getting some time. I saw last night, 1,500. Buffer's hiring a, a content marketer right now. And they got 1,500 applications. So they had to turn it off within 24 hours. And for those instances, I say, still do the legwork. Still do the legwork. Because if you really want that job, if you really think you're the perfect person for that role, then you can catch somebody's attention. You can still catch somebody. But really, you're going to need to be that 100% fit for that role. Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the no-fluff, actionable podcast for people sick of marketing bullshit. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you'll learn how to find and land marketing positions in a crowded market that stretch you, challenge you, and pay you well. My guest today is a SaaS nerd, LinkedIn addict, and just like me, and a job search strategist for the tech industry. She's been previously head of talent acquisition for many, many tech startups that you know, like Zapier. And she sent me a very timely and very personal cold email a few weeks ago. And that's why we are here today. So if you're listening to this and you want to be on the show, that's the way to do it. You just need to catch me at the two minutes of the day where I'm in a good mood about a topic that we've never covered on the podcast before. And in a way that it's very personal so that I feel like you know me. So that's it. That's, that's the only thing she did. So anyway, Erica Clicks, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for that introduction. I do want to correct you. I was not head of talent at Zapier. I was managing a team there, but... Uh, same thing. <laughs> T- tomato, tomato, doesn't matter. Same bullshit, <laughs> you know? So a lot of advice around finding a good job, finding a job in marketing or even elsewhere is like, you need to sell yourself. You really need to sell who you are and blah, blah, blah. So is that the way to go? It is a way to go. What I find is that when people set up themselves to sell themselves, they really think about the external. They start with what jobs am I going to apply to? What companies do do I want to go work for? How can I be the best? And they just, just scream out like with a megaphone. That's how when people think about selling themselves. And I think that is a bit of a mistake because, <laughs> because what happens is you automatically really start to put yourself in the expectations of what the industry wants. What do they want to hear? What do they want to see? How can I be the best person for this? How can I beat out the competition? And it skips out that whole first starting with like, wait, why am I good for this? This starts with the, skips the introspection piece, honestly. Which is massively important, right? So by introspection, what do you mean? I mean thinking about what do you actually want in your next job? Like whether or not you are currently working, if you're going for your next job, there is something that you want out of that. So why are you motivated to go after the thing? What do you want to work on? What are the things that are important to you and the stuff that's not so important to you? What I happen to see is a lot of job seekers who have a like laundry list of stuff that they are there that they want in their next job. And there's only three jobs in the whole world that fit that. And then I also see the opposite, which is like, I will take any job I can get. I'm going to go apply to 200 positions and hope for the best. But if you spend any time on LinkedIn, you're seeing that is a really painful strategy and people get like two interviews and no offers. And then they're burnt out. I regularly see on Reddit in particular, I follow a few subreddits in the industry. And there's a few that keep coming up around... I've applied to a literally more than 100 job. 
And I got like two interviews and no one called me back, right? Now I have an idea of why, but from your perspective, what's the symptom of that issue? What's the, your diagnosis? Well, let's think about it from a, like a common thing that I've heard in, on the marketing side. It's like when you're trying to reach everybody, you're reaching nobody, right? <laughs> you're not speaking to anybody. You talk about this a lot, about niching down and getting really specific, being the perfect solution for a very small subset of people. That's exactly what's happening in job applications. There's no possible way that you are the perfect candidate, or not even perfect, but like a really strong candidate for those 200 jobs. And in applying to those 200 jobs, you're not giving yourself the time to actually think about why you could be the perfect candidate for those 200 jobs. That's why, I mean, it's like spinning your wheels. So let's imagine you're helping me to get the job I want. I'm going to have to play here and to pretend <laughs> because... I have the job I want and I believe I'm unemployable now. I just can't even fathom. Anyway, so I'm going to, I'm maybe going to try to pretend that I was like five years ago or something. So, and I want us to work through the steps like you would with someone. So I obviously won't necessarily have the time to do it everything in depth, but up to you to tell me whether that step is very important or we can skip it or go fast. So how do we start? Let's see. Let's go back in time to the last time that you were fully employed. Tell me about that job. So the last time was at Hotjar. I worked for a tech company, website analytics space. I was hired as a content strategist, basically in charge of creating the content team and stayed there for nearly four years. The role evolved to like product marketing, positioning the company, the brand, messaging, everything while running my site. Project on the side, obviously, it's a side project, which was this podcast. Got it. Okay, cool. So, you talked about your role as a content strategist that evolves into product marketing. So, talk to me about when you're as a content strategist. I think it might be hard for us to go pretty deep into this right now, but <laughs> I am curious like, tell me about that. What was your main goal in that job? What, as a content strategist, were you trying to accomplish? The main thing was, yeah, to create the content function from scratch and basically generate leads for the company through organic content, like just writing interesting blog posts, maybe launching a podcast, stuff like that. Got it. And were there certain channels that you worked on? Were there certain strategies that you were told that you had to start with and evolve? Where did, you know, what did that work focus on? At first, I fucked up majorly and I got fired because I spent time planning for shit instead of doing the shit. And I was kind of overly thinking about making sure the plan is perfect instead of just getting shit done and learning as we go. So that was a big lesson. The main win that came through was when I was working with my colleague, Theo, who came in at the same time as me and we worked together to basically create a good SEO strategy. And we started to create a lot of content to learn instead of being very precious about it. And it started to work. We got more and more visitors, more and more leads. And, and finally, content started to like evolve into something that was meaningful for the business. Got it. Okay, cool. That's interesting. So in a story like that, you just shared, I don't know, six, maybe seven interesting points that I think would be could be valuable to companies. So the idea of like planning versus doing and finding that right balance of a role where if you are a planner, if you liked doing that planning part and you had said, oh, I don't want to do the execution piece, that planning piece was what I was really good at and the company was wrong, then I would say focus on roles that are content strategy. But what you just shared with me is you lit up just a little bit when you talked about 
you know, working with a partner, working on that SEO project and finding a path to making something work. So that's like a little bit of that turnaround skill of figuring out how to make it work when something's not necessarily working. So you said a turnaround skill. Is that mm -hmm. what you said? Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. What's the turnaround skill? It's the ability to say, to take a look at what's going on and saying, this isn't working. Most people will take whatever they're getting, the inputs they're getting, and they just keep driving that forward. It takes a certain type of person to see this isn't working and we're going to try something different. And then when you try something different, it's about figuring out, okay, so how can you across the company figure out how to get other people to pick up this effort and try this new path with me? It's about getting buy-in from the top and about actually thinking out a full strategy and executing that strategy. That's a turnaround skill. That's something that not everybody can do. And being able to speak to how you can do it is something that can be really valuable to a certain type of company. So when you're looking at potential opportunities out in the market, you're saying, okay, I have this skill. I see what's happening at this company. <laughs> They need a different strategy. They're about to explode, but their current content strategy isn't going to work for them. I can be the person who can step in. And because I have this experience at Hotjar doing XYZ, I can now go and talk about those experience and how I can do it at their company. So it's really about finding some pretty specific examples of ways that you very confidently had success. And I can hear right now anybody who's been on a marketing team and saying, yeah, but what about when I don't have any support? And what about when I don't have any success because the company's tanking for reasons that have nothing to do with <laughs> what I've done? And to that, I'm going to say there are absolutely still stories that you can pull out and things that you can find and small wins that you can celebrate and small wins that you can use to find the next thing. Great. So... What would you advise listeners right now to do? Obviously, they might hire you if they want to, but they can also do the thing themselves, I suppose, things through stuff. So is it really about looking back and just listing every single thing you've done, in particular those turnaround skills, or what do you advise people to do there? There's a few different steps, right? You have to start with what you want. That's number one. Figure out why you're good at what you do. And then... When you figure out why you're good at what you do and that why you're good at what you do comes through evidence. That's what we're talking about when we're going back through and saying, okay, what did you do? Where did you win? Where were things harder? Where did you break through plateaus? All of that. That's in that why are you good at what you do? And then once you figure that out, it's about figuring out how to tell that story through details. In my own process, we call this amplifying impact because companies really care about what your actual impact is. So how can you find the words to explain your impact and to quantify it sometimes or not? And then the last piece that's incredibly important is actually building trust in the process. You're doing that through evidence, but you're also doing it through like making human connections because companies don't hire people, people hire people. So how do you figure out how to make real connections with real human beings throughout the process? Great, okay. So going back to step one, what you want, we talked about it before a bit, like you said, there's the laundry list or the any job would do. So what is a list of things that I want that are like reasonable or that you look at them and you're like, okay, that's great. What are the criteria, the success criteria to fit into that box? Really, it, it depends on the person to person. So I work a lot with leaders. About half the people that I work with are marketing leaders. So directors, VPs, sometimes senior managers looking to move in that director level role. And for them, it's about figuring out like that balance of, I know I want a company that's working on, you know, B2B products and they are working, they're at a certain growth stage. 
So they've already got product market fit and they're trying to tip into a certain revenue or going from in the tech world, series A to series B or series B to series C. There's a certain like sweet spot of company growth where it makes the most sense to slot in your skills and be able to stretch. That's an area that we really focus on with folks. Sometimes it's product specific. Technical marketers are going to, should be working on technical products. I was talking to somebody the other day who comes from a really technical background and he was looking at some not very technical roles and he's not going to get interviews there. And it's not because he can't do it. It's because there are 150 other marketers that can do that better. So go lean into what you got. (laughs) So we talk about that. So we talk about leaning in. And then some of the other things that come up on like the laundry, not really the laundry list, but when we're calling the laundry list and making it a manageable list of like a targeted list to go after is really thinking about things like content strategy, for example. There is like blog scale. I've seen jobs where like you have to have be able to reach millions of users every month. If you don't have that experience, it's a waste of your time. It's like, go look at the companies that are just trying to grow. Go look at the companies that are right at the cusp. Is it managing a team? Is it managing contractors? There's lots of different variables about what a, a marketing job looks like and figuring out which ones you have versus which ones you would like to get. You have to have more than you would like to get, basically. So looking at the negative space is critical. It's important to have a laundry list of the stuff you want, but looking at what you don't want is usually easier, at least for me. Like, I don't want to work in tech anymore. I don't want to work with VC-backed companies. I don't want to work for anyone else. I don't want to be told what to do. So you end up being, well, I have no choice. I have to work for myself. So it's actually the looking at the negative space usually unlocks a lot. And it's not just for hiring or, or finding a job. It's for everything. Great. Okay. So we have what we want. And now we're trying to figure out why we are good at what we do. So you started to ask me questions about that, right? To kind of uncover those turnaround skills, for for example. Is that in that step? Yeah, it's a little bit in kind of woven throughout because what happens is people ultimately, they start with what they want. And in doing that, they figure out what they're good at, like why they're good at what they do. So it's a little bit in there. (laughs) It's about balancing that internal and external of what am I good at? What do I want? Who am I in this job? And then how does another company want that? The step from there is really thinking about, okay, so what companies will find this useful? How can I be effective in doing this in another environment? And then how can I speak to that? So other people on the other side understand what the hell I'm talking about. Which is the story step, which is step three. Yeah. Okay. So how do I specifically figure out why I'm good at what I do, right? Let's go back maybe to this role play pretend thing. So just to tell you like a little bit of the story, I realized throughout that what I loved the most wasn't the planning shit, wasn't managing people. Because at one time, at one point, I was managing people like one-to-one and stuff. I realized that I was very much better as an individual contributor rather than a management position, right? That the planning was in fact just a way for me to deal with my anxiety rather than actually get some result, right? So it's like the overly planning was just to make sure everything was covered, but actually what came from my anxiety rather than anything else. So then what I realized, what I really loved the most was finding angles that are spicy, that people will notice because they're contrarian, but not for the sake of being controversial, just because they are true, but that the most best practices are not talking about it or whatever. So 
I became quite good at this from picking good blog post angles. And then we launched a podcast, we launched a lot of things. And then it moved on to the product itself, which is like how to find good angles that people will like, how to position a product so that people like it. Yeah. That's interesting about the product marketing piece. Because I actually think everybody has to be a product marketer, but that's a maybe a story for another day. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. I completely agree. I have to play the role of someone who's actually interested in that stuff, like the tech shit or whatever. Product marketing boils my blood. I just can't deal with the term product marketing because it is marketing 101. The product is part of marketing, right? And so if you don't understand the fucking products, if you're not able to like know who the fuck you're solving the problems for or whatever, then yeah, absolutely, you can't be a marketer. So I know you're not saying that exactly, but I would say... That it's just the syndrome of today where we invent and feel the need to invent and reinvent and invent and reinvent constantly because we think the old is outdated while the old is as proven instead of being outdated. But anyway, I agree. Well, what I was going to say was the idea of like spicy angles and then really figuring out what people want, what like and trying the different ways of getting people what they want. That itself is a, that's a skill. So then I would want to hear, tell me about some of those spicy angles. What did you actually do? Yeah. For example, like we did a, a virtual event and the catch was that it was inspired by the lightning talks that we did inside the company during our retreats where we would uh, speak for five minutes each about one specific thing. And I took this idea and we turned it into a virtual event where for five days, five speakers, and they would each literally speak for five minutes. And so we coached them to just give one very practical advice and we market the fuck out of them. We had some budget behind it, but I have it in the folder. I think we got 17 or 18,000 registration for the event. So that's an example. That's amazing. That's a perfect example. And that's an example that I would have somebody on a resume, I would straight up write out on a bullet on a resume created and developed or inspired, whatever the resume verb is, <laughs> created five-day events using this for this budget, resulting in 17,000 however many signups. So that story then also becomes a story that you use in, in interviews and you're able to talk to them more. You're able to speak to in that big win story. You're able to talk to, okay, these were the resources we had. These were the constraints we had. This is how this came to be. This is who we involved. That becomes like, now it's like something that you're able to market yourself. It's like, hey, I did this. I owned this project. I could do this for you here. That story is not going to be the least bit interesting to a company that doesn't want to do any sort of events. Like they only want to focus on, I don't know, ad strategy or whatever. You don't tell that story. That story is not going to be interesting. That job is not going to be interesting to you. So now it's about figuring out how to balance. Okay, here's story. These are things that I did. These are companies that might be interested in this kind of thing. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I have a feeling that folks who are looking for another job are not necessarily the most confident right now, right? They might be struggling with a boss that they don't like, or they might be struggling because they are not getting the result they thought. They might be struggling because they are not able to do what they thought they would be able to do. It comes from a place of, I wouldn't say anxiety per se, but like lack of confidence or lack of Growth, is that a true assumption or am I wrong? Yeah, I think that's incredibly true. One of the things that most of the time, if you're looking for a job, it's because something is going not the way you want it to go in your current role. You didn't get the raise that you were promised. 
your teams, you know, maybe you're still employed, but you're, you went through layoffs. And so you have fewer people on your team and you're stretched really thin and you're working like crazy. And it's hard to figure out how to meet all the goals that you have. You're coming from a place of struggle and looking for that next job is really a way out. And all the stuff that we've been talking about is really about the idea of switching your mindset from running away from something to figuring out how you're running towards something new. How are you running towards something that's going to be more exciting to you? And this is true at every level. It's true no matter what people have accomplished. It's true. And it's true even for folks who've been in the industry for a long time and have lots of experience and previously didn't have any issue finding a job because the market is hard right now. So when you're coming from a place where you're like, this is unbearable or like, I'm really struggling. I want to do something else. And then I go look on LinkedIn and I see everybody's doing layoffs or the job market's really tight or see whatever crunch based numbers. Sorry for that's the particularly for your tech audiences (laughs) that are like living in it right now. It can be really overwhelming and hard to see. This is also true for folks who aren't really feeling the struggle. But they want the next step up. They want to grow. They want to do something more exciting. And there's just a feeling of what's even out there? What's possible? How do I get it? No, there's not really any instruction for how to reach this new level because the job advice that's out there is like, clean up your resume, clean up your LinkedIn profile, network a bunch, and go find it. You'll find your thing. That's not how we do it, right? So let's just maybe... Give a quick summary of that step before we move on to the story, because to me, I think that'll be easier to explain, right? But once you are through that step of why you're good at what you do and you have specific examples, by the way, yes, one thing I wanted to say about this, a big advice for folks, and I'm sure you'd agree on this one, is to do not wait until you're looking for another job to pick up examples of shit you've achieved because you're going to forget 99% of it. Truth, I can tell you that's exactly what I haven't done properly. Every time you have a massive win or you've taken care of a project from start to finish and it went well, or even stuff that didn't go well, write it fucking down, right? Because you're not going to remember it. Don't let your brain tell you that you will. Yeah. Let's see. Performance reviews, going back through your calendar, taking a look. Even if you don't do it regularly, I used to do it quarterly. I would go through and keep basically a wins journal. Like, okay, what did I do? What did I do the last three three months? What big wins? What kudos did other people give me? And how is it measured? Can I go back? Can I use this number? That's a thing people ask me a lot about. Is, okay, so this is an internal company number. What can I use? What can't I use? What can I share? What can't I share? What can I share? What can't I share? Yeah, so anything that's public facing, you can absolutely share and you should share. The other stuff... If it isn't a performance review, that's your data. You can share that. If, if it's something where it really feels sensitive, then I think there's always different ways that you can think about it. So if you can't necessarily say, oh, we grew by 500,000 users in the last quarter, what you can say is we grew by X percentage, or you can find ways to talk about it relatively so that you can still own that win. It's still something that you can speak to without straight up calling out a a very specific number. Or like we spent, I see this a lot, rather than, so like we spent $6,000 or $600,000 on this project, it's X hundred (laughs) K budget. Just ways of giving scale to your work because scale is really important in the eyes of the people who are hiring, figuring out, okay, so like how big was it? What is it? And how big is it in comparison to what we're doing? Any other advice on that issue of not knowing what to share or what to share? You said give a scale instead of real figures if it's something that is like for the company and it's kind of secret or whatever. Anything else that you tend to see? 
I think the one big thing I see a lot is people saying, I didn't do this on my own. I did this with a team or this is really the company's result. And so what I work a lot with folks on is how to balance that and how to take ownership of that, of your contribution to that end result. Let's take a very real example that I see a lot because I used to hire people as well. So I've been on both sides. Let's say VP of marketing. I helped the company grow from 2 million annual revenue to like 30 million, right? So, okay. They said they helped. Great. But I find it so bullshit because... If you have a good product in the right market that the founders have done well or whatever, with or without the marketing function, it will grow pretty well. Like Hotjar did that without a proper marketing function for so so long. They just had paid ads and that was it because the product was so good in the right time. Anyway, anyway. So what's your advice there? Like, how do you find the right middle middle ground? Yeah. So like in that example, for instance, I would say something like develop the content strategy that scaled inbound users by X growing like over a certain time period. So you're narrowing it down to a way more specific result that's closer to something that you did. And then you could say ultimately contributing to whatever the, <laughs> the millions in, in growth, because what that's doing is being like, oh, here's the big picture shiny thing that the whole company did. And you're really like step by stepping them from down into what you did in order to contribute to that. It's always about getting specific People get really afraid of getting too specific because they think, well, they won't understand it or how do I share enough detail? And there's really an art to finding that balance of specific (laughs) details, but you have to get specific because that's what's going to paint that picture in somebody's mind that like, oh, you actually did the thing. They start to believe you're building trust in the process and ooh, can you do it for us too? Okay. Step three, the story. So you said earlier a few minutes ago that resumes... The traditional advice is build your resume, like freshen up your resume, go on LinkedIn, talk to people, get hires, job done. So what's different about your belief on this? Does it mean I don't have to work on a resume at all? Or what's your advice? It's not that I don't believe you have to work on a resume. I write resumes. (laughs) I write LinkedIn profiles. They are a bit of a unfortunate must have, (laughs) but... What I think is really important for people to know is not to obsess about your resume. Your resume is not the be all and end all. It's the con, like, if you are getting to the root of what you're good at and showing the evidence of why you're good at, at what you do on that piece of paper, then let it go. Because what I happen to see happen a lot is people write a resume, they send out a couple applications, they don't hear anything back or they get rejected, and then they go back and they rewrite their resume. And then they do it all over again and all over again. And then you see five months later, it's like, I have 30 versions of my resume and none of them are working. It's like, that wasn't the problem. (laughs) So that wasn't the problem. Yeah, like write the resume, get really specific on what you did and then go and find the jobs that are going to be the best fit for you and then figure out other ways of getting in touch with the people other than sending that application through the application portal. I'm going off on a bit of a tangent now. I want to go back to the LinkedIn resume advice here. So... Once we have the accomplishment and stuff like that, what's your number one advice, your number one tip to convey them in a way that speaks to the right people? Yeah, I mean, there's a really simple formula, like talking about who, what, how, and then either a result or why, some way of talking about why this is important to the company or what the result was, like a really simple 
If you can quantify it with numbers, awesome. If you can't, that is okay. People panic all the time. Like, well, I don't have a way of measuring this. How am I going to put it on my resume? It's not measurable. It's like, well, just make sure that it's specific. It's something you did, something you owned. And that's good. But one of the biggest things I do that I do with clients is you write out your experience section. You make sure that it is speaking to that small set of companies that you're looking for. You're like taking what they are talking about, the skills that are important to them, making sure that's what is on your resume. If it's not a skill that is useful to them, yes, people are full, well-rounded people, but they're not just the resume, but you can only fit so much on a resume. Just so focus on what they need (laughs) and forget everything else. Yeah, exactly. And that's where I saw anything in marketing on your homepage. Don't try to cram everything. You need to focus your attention on the core need you're solving, the core reason why you're different, who exactly it's all. So it's the same thing. Again, I think it goes back to that fear of, but what if I don't say that I have a fucking blue belt in Aikido, that's going to prevent me from getting that job or whatever. As you said, I think it's the intersection of what you're good at, right? What we said, and what your fucking, the companies that you want to work for need. That's it. Yeah, that's it. At this stage, as you go At through, you get a chance to meet them, they get to know you better, but they do not care about, this is like a, probably a pretty rough thing to say. They do not care about you as a person until they actually care about you and they your don't. ability to do the job. Let's be very real here, right? Let's not talk corporate bullshit or whatever. They don't, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why it's called human resources and not fucking taking care of people or whatever. Yes, at the end of the day, they are doing it for selfish reasons. They're hiring people for selfish reasons. They're not fucking hiring people for to give you a salary because they are generous. So I think it's also that mindset of, yeah, they might say we are a family and whatnot, but don't believe the bullshit. I've learned that as well. So it's, you know, be also fierce and fucking unapologetic in the way you search for job as well. Like don't, you know, it's you are doing them a favor as well if you're the right match. That is a huge part of what I talk about with folks, because this is really comes up to when you mentioned the best people who stand out are the ones who like signed up for your newsletter, went on to Twitter, like really be like got into your world and you got to know them outside of that piece of paper. But there's also that ownership of I deserve to be in your inbox. (laughs) I deserve like there's a reason that I am reaching out to you because I will be really good at this job and I will actually help you get your what you need done. And that is a massive mindset shift. I had a client just the other day who was like, if you're going to reach out to them on LinkedIn, don't just write like a hi, I'm interested in your job, but get really specific about why you're interested in the job, why you're good at what you do and be bold. And he sent me yesterday, he said, thank you for being bold. I'm talking to them on Tuesday. It just gave him that confidence to be like, you deserve to be in that person's inbox. It is worth it. Think about how I've been a hiring manager. I would fucking love resumes to fall into my lap that are the perfect <laughs> thing for the job. I, it means I don't have to go interview 10 other people. Yes, please. But make sure you're actually the perfect person for that job. And it makes sense. I have an assumption here. Um, please correct me if I'm wrong. But am I right in saying that folks who are not white men with beards like me that tend to be from minorities, like women or whatever else, like basically non, the non-majority, BIPOC and all of that, do they tend to struggle more about being assertive than people like me? Yeah, I would say that's probably true. I have not. <laughs> I, when you said that, I had probably like five or six clients come to mind of people who are in so incredibly good at what they do, but not the first people to say like, to really own what they're good at. It's not something that's really common. Obviously, that is a generalization. There are plenty of awesome 
people outside of that description of um, white, white dudes with beards who have that confidence. I'm always excited to get a chance to work with them and rally them too. But yeah. That's come on. That's corporate bullshit here. No, it's no, true. I can think of like a couple of really awesome women who are like, they own exactly. the shit. Yeah, yeah. That's and my now point. they're in the sea level, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so resume, we talked about it. And then you started to mention LinkedIn and whatnot. So what's your number one advice to, let's say, okay, hypothetically speaking, I found this new tech company and I love what they do. They are looking for a product marketer specifically. It seemed to be a great match. What should I do? First off, make sure that your resume does align with that job description, because as much as you worked on getting the core of your experience to match up with what you're targeting, there's always maybe one or two things that you might want to tweak. So make sure if there is a, I don't know, they're using HubSpot, make sure HubSpot is on your resume. It's like simple stuff like that to make it easy. I do recommend people apply through the applicant system because some companies are specific about how they do it, (laughs) but then that's not the end. Then you go and you find the potential hiring manager. You go and you find the most likely recruiter for that role. You go, you potentially find a cross-functional partner, somebody who would care if that role is filled. Because if you think about, okay, whose job is made harder because somebody is not doing this job right now? How can I connect with that person? How can I learn about what they are, what their challenges are, what they're up against? how they work with marketing, all the different angles that you can learn about why somebody, why they're hiring for this job and why you would be good for that job. So as you're really piecing together and any one of those people could get you an in to have like a real conversation and actually be considered for the role. One advice that I have here is if possible, reach out to existing team members just casually and ask stuff like, how is it working there? Is it as good as what they're fucking saying on their belt page or is it shit? Glassdoor at the minute is good. I mean, I don't know what you think about it, but it seems good enough when you have enough reviews to gauge what's happening. Don't be afraid to interview the company as much as they're interviewing you, right? Or like to really look into the little things uh, that make them great and whatnot. So then I loved when people used to apply through the normal way because you had to, because you have to be in the system, but then also reach out via email and or before and after on LinkedIn or whatever, like just that was already the 5%, right? So it's not that difficult to stand out if you're a good match because then it's so very few do this. I think times have changed a little bit, at least okay. in... So disagree tech- with me, please. Yeah. Yeah. You're telling me I'm old. I'm an old fuck because that was two years ago. Two years ago. So two years ago, the, the industry is like, at least the tech industry. Well, if you're looking at marketing for software products, it may be different for other types of marketers, but... It's intense out there. A lot more people are doing direct messaging. A lot more people are trying to find that team member. A lot of teams are now saying, you know what? We don't have the bandwidth to respond to these candidates, these applicants. There are companies that are getting sometimes... I saw last night 1,500. Buffer's hiring a, a content marketer right now. And they got 1,500 applications. So they had to turn it off within 24 hours. And for those instances, I say, still do the legwork. Still do the legwork. Because if you really want that job, if you really think you're the perfect person for that role, then you can catch somebody's attention. You can still catch somebody. But really, you're going to need to be that 100% fit for that role. It's not just like the stretch role doesn't work in those cases. I'm getting old, is what you're saying. I'm getting fucking old. Well, it's just changed. 
COVID's changed. I mean, everybody's getting old since 2020, I would say. <laughs> like, I know I aged way more than three years in three years. But the industry, at least in tech right now and in hiring, it's like dog years. It's like seven years in the last year. Yeah, yeah no, that's very true. Because of so, how much has changed. People are doing things like sending looms. They're like, hey, this is why I'm a good fit. Trying to figure out, like, just trying any way to get attention and make their way in for a conversation. So step four, building trust, right? How else in that very fierce competitive environment am I building trust with whoever is going to hire me? Yeah. For my clients, it's all about asking questions, getting really curious. Like, what are you doing? What are you facing? What challenges are you facing? What have you tried? What pushback do you get? Really understanding People always ask me, what should I ask in an interview? There's like the surface, what is the culture? What is this? Like those questions, sure, if you get a chance, but I would spend way more time getting to understand what is actually going on with this company <laughs> so that you can speak to those challenges and show that you actually care about what they're trying to achieve. 100% this. I'm so happy you're saying this because that's exactly the advice I gave when people ask me that question. And it's really like, Interview the fuck out of them. Genuinely interview them. So apart from the ones, the stuff we mentioned right now in terms of questions, what would be your number one go-to question that you'd advise marketers to ask? I think the number one question is going to have to be, what are you trying to achieve in the next six months? And I don't want to say this role. I want to say, what are you trying to achieve in the next six months? Because it's going to be different from the product marketer that you're interviewing with to the product manager that you're interviewing with. Everybody's going to be different. I think that's probably the... Because that six months mark is close enough where it's something that they're in right now and far enough away that it's a little bit more big picture than what are they working on this week. Because six months is as far as you can plan in tech. And it's just a crazy fucking industry. It's really fast paced in the true sense of the world. It's like, oh, let's do KPIs for that quarter and boom, boom, boom. Like it's just nonstop. So yeah, but it works outside of tech as well. I would say some industries are a bit more tranquil, a bit more quiet, a bit more calm than tech right now anyway. It cracks me up when people ask me like, oh, what's the five-year plan for the company? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, I'm thinking like a CEO, that reminds me of this, thinking like a founder, thinking like a CEO or CMO, really trying to understand that perspective of we need to make money, we need to make profits, we need to break even, we need to whatever. Really puts you into perspective because that's what I didn't have when I started at Hotjar. I didn't really put them into the perspective of, Actually, they hire me to get some fucking leads, not to build pretty slides on how to be the best fucking blog in the universe. So yeah, that was a good learning. Okay, great. I'm just going to summarize briefly what we said in the last 55 minutes. So you mentioned four steps, figure out what you want, figure out what you're good at, what you do, figure out how to tell that story properly and like personalized by company, and then figure out how to build trust and consider the very first step as you're already working with them. And yeah, LinkedIn is not enough. Sending a DM on LinkedIn is not enough anymore because I'm an old fuck. Is that a good summary? Yeah, that's a good good summary. We covered a lot of little details along the way, but I think that's the overarching, that's it, step by step. So what are the top three resources you'd recommend listeners to take? Oh, resources. Let's see. It's interesting because I don't actually know for job seekers if there are great step-by-step, like a great book that covers this in all that much detail. But what I will say, if people are looking at where to find that next job, the biggest thing I would say is get off of LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is like not the, 
the place where people want to go. So there's some other job boards, depending on the size of the company. You can go if it's startups, it's AngelList. If you're going to, you want to see companies have gotten funding, it's Crunchbase, built in Chicago, built in LA, all of those for mid-sized and growing companies. So I would say, yeah, thinking about those and then communities, Slacks, Discord, Reddit. Yeah. Lots, yeah. Specific ones, right? Like if you're on content marketing, I know there's like one called I think Superpass by gonna forget his name, but basically it is a very niche community only for that. Absolutely. And start before you fucking are in need for a job, right? Clearly. Yeah, absolutely. Start way ahead of time. At least three months, I would at say. At least. Fuck yeah. yeah. At least. Yeah. Okay. Great. You've been a pleasure. Honestly, I felt like I was chatting with a friend, just having a, a regular conversation. You know your shit, clearly. So that was good as well. Where can people connect with you and learn more from you? Yeah, they can head to... It's so funny, I just tell everybody to get off of LinkedIn. But you can go on LinkedIn to find me. The only one named Erica Clicks <laughs> or uh, ericaclicks.com. I wish I had... And that's it for another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at EveryoneHatesMarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.